0: Welcome to episode 454 of the RV Podcast.
1: And this week, we talk about finding missing hikers in America's national parks. You'll be surprised how many there are. And a mystery
0: gas sickens campers in a Colorado campground.
1: We have expert tips on how to properly take care of your RV awning.
0: And ingenious and simple hack on how easy it is to make an RV bed.
1: And the dismal facts that show RV shipments to dealers are down almost 50% this year, leading some manufacturers to be on extended shutdowns. All this and more coming up in episode 454 of the RV Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Wedlund, and this is my lifelong traveling companion and my bride, Jennifer. And uh, this is the uh, 4th of July weekend. Uh, Everybody is kind of making their way back as this episode is being released. And it was a very busy camping weekend for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, man, everybody was on the road, but to be expected, I don't know how it was all over the country, but in Michigan there was some beautiful hot weather, too hot. But, yep. of course, we had the smoke that kind of dampened everything. But, uh, man, if anybody saw that picture, our Mackinac Bridge, people lined up to get over that bridge.
1: We uh, we put a picture of that up uh, on the uh, RV lifestyle uh, Facebook group. And it was like... Uh, a massive lineup to get in. I mean, a couple hours to get in. The whole bridge was jammed. I also saw a picture from Yosemite that showed a two-hour uh, backlog of people. It was a rolling video of just cars in dead stop waiting to get into Yosemite. So a lot of people were camping. We don't camp on the big weekends like that.
0: No, we're fortunate that we don't have to camp then, but woe to everybody that that's the only time they can camp because, boy, that sure gets you off to a bad start.
1: But we were very busy. Uh, This is the week that we uh, finally were able to get concrete poured. We put in a great concrete pad on our Michigan property for our uh, fifth wheel, which we will be delighted to use. It's got a cure for about two weeks, the concrete. And then we can park it on there. But actually, we're going to be on the road so much. It's 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 not going to get used probably until uh, till fall. But even then, we got a lot. We're going to be going in fall. But the point is, we put this awesome pad in there, and we are so delighted to have it. Uh, I'll show you a picture. For those of you watching the YouTube version of this uh, podcast, we'll show you our pad, and I think we're going to even work out a video on it for uh, this week, because it was fun watching them pour that stuff.
0: I never thought I'd be excited about getting a slab of cement. I wasn't too happy about it, but I can honestly say I'm happy that we have it, and I think it'll be better for our RV.
1: Yeah, the the guy who poured it, actually, is an RV industry veteran. He worked in the uh, building RVs for almost two decades, and... He's, he was saying why every RV really, if you're going to keep it for extended periods of time, it should rest on concrete uh, first, if not that crushed gravel. And he, he talks at length about that in the video we'll be releasing.
0: But the only thing that worries me is now we have a firm foundation. I'm worried about the need for a roof.
1: A roof on top oh. of it would be nice to put, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We take we drive around too much in that fifth wheel to really keep it underneath a roof. I think even in the winter where we camp. Um, You know, uh, people are asking us that we've been doing so much work on the Michigan property. What are we going to do with our Tennessee property? And I think we're we're leaning to selling it. Uh, I
0: I think we are because I talked to Mike and I said, do you realize we've only been there, you know, not that much this year? And our son's house... uh, 90 miles away we've been yeah. there and we're not using it the way that we
1: thought we would we would and we are using the michigan property a lot we've got 10 acres here and it just doesn't make a lot of financial smarts for us to have two big hunks of property and because uh, we still are camping and going all around the place and uh we're probably going to sell it, so we'll, we'll I don't know, we'll, if you're interested, uh, it's, it, it's all developed, you know, and you can read, if, you, if you've been following it, the development is, it's, it's in, the woodlands at um, Buffalo River is sold out, so uh, our, I think we're going to probably hang a for sale sign on ours, and uh, we'll be concentrating more on our Michigan property, it's kind of hard, because I really haven't enjoyed that so much, but we didn't get there enough.
0: We don't get there enough to justify having it and now since we have this 10 acres in michigan this is kind of all consuming isn't it
1: yes it is hey but enough about us Um, we have been watching with interest as our facebook group continues to grow and so many hot issues that people are talking about uh, questions that are getting answered and really interesting information being shared Wendy Boyer is uh, uh, part of our social media team who helps uh, coordinate all of the moderation that is needed for a group that's approaching 200,000 members and uh, each week she uh, gives us this report on uh, what's happening on social media.
2: Hi RVers, do many of you collect souvenirs from your travels? Well, Darlene this week, she asked the group what they collect from states they visit because she was looking for some ideas. And boy, did she get a lot of them. We're talking more than 750 responses. Some included magnets and Kimberly, Dawn, and Kathy shared pictures of their magnet collections on their fridge. That was really fun to see. Other ideas were postcards, Christmas tree ornaments, keychains, stickers, rocks, coffee cups locally roasted coffee, pins, patches, and of course the best one of all, memories. Next, I'd like to share with you a picture that Lee took of a snake that was nestled in the space of his rig. And this was a big snake. So he took this picture and he asked the group, what's your next move? And as you can imagine, many were terrified. Uh, So he got answers like burn it down, run, time to sell the camper. Uh, But he also got some serious advice, such as bring in a wildlife abatement company to get rid of that snake, or uh, something that I never knew about. There's apparently a snake removal tool you can buy. It's like this long pole with a claw at the end, and someone suggested he get one of those, put the snake in a bucket, carry the bucket to the woods. Um, It was quite the idea. And so he said he got this uh, snake in there when he was looking for a water leak and he saw it hidden under his water heater. Uh, Needless to say, he was super surprised. The snake now is gone. He didn't say how he got rid of it, but with nearly 600 comments, he definitely got people talking. And then the last thing I'd like to share with you is a review of doing a quick overnight with dry camping at a Love's truck stop. Lisa said she just got her classy rig in March and last weekend stayed at a Love's truck stop in Tennessee for a quick overnight for the first time. And she gave it a review listing pros and cons that got many uh, talking. Some of her many pros were it was free, she could dump, she could fill up with fresh water, and wow, there was this amazing shower she could take there. The shower was huge, tiled, clean. She took a picture and it looked amazing. Some of her cons were there was some road noise, and apparently that shower was not cheap. And of course, there was a little bit of a diesel smell in the air because she was at a truck stop. But overall, she rated it a 9.5 out of 10, and it was really helpful to many of us. And that's it for me this week. I'm Wendy Boyer, and I will see you next week with more highlights from the RV Lifestyle Facebook group.
0: Well, that's fun. Every week I look forward to what Wendy's going to tell us that everybody's talking about. And I can relate to the uh, what do you buy as a little souvenir that you can remember a spot that you go to. We started out with magnets, and then a refrigerator wouldn't uh, work with the magnets. And then what do we do with all these magnets and pins?
1: Well, I put them all on my hat.
0: Yeah, and pins kind of
1: like stretched <laughs> out my hat. I had so many yeah, pins. Yeah, once you yeah. start,
0: I've always want. We had one once, the map that goes on the side of the RV, and then every state you camp in, you fill that in. I don't know what happened to that, but uh, yeah. I guess changing vehicles so much. Yeah, but something for memories. Yeah, I guess lots of pictures and store those pictures, and then a couple of favorite ones, get them printed up.
1: Well, if you haven't checked out our RV Lifestyle Facebook group, it's rvlifestyle.com slash Facebook, and uh, we invite you to join. It's an incredible community that is so helpful uh, when you have uh, a question you need answered. Uh, Another uh, thing we like to talk about every week is our sister blog, CampingFoodRecipes.com, and from that, we have been reporting on the podcast a recipe of the week. Uh, Jerrica Ma is the editor-in-chief of uh, CampingFoodRecipes.com, and she's got a really good recipe for us this week.
3: Hey, Camping Foodies. Jerrica here with CampingFoodRecipes.com. And I don't know about you, but what I struggle with most whenever planning a camping menu is figuring out the side dishes for the meals. So today I actually have an excellent side dish that goes with lunch or dinner, and in fact, you can make it into a meal in itself and I'll tell you how. Um, But this recipe is a fresh summer squash casserole that's made with stuffing mix and uh, cream of chicken soup. But if you're a vegetarian, you can actually swap out that cream of chicken soup for cream of mushroom soup, and you're good to go on that. Um, But this dish is really easy to make. You do a little bit of cooking on the stove, then you pop it in the oven, um, and you just end up with this really fresh family favorite of a side dish that can go with anything. Um, You can even make it in advance. It freezes and and refrigerates quite nicely, so you can heat it up once you get to wherever you're going. Um, And as I mentioned, you can even make it into a one pot meal or a one dish meal. Um, by adding cooked chicken or cooked turkey to the casserole before you pop it in the oven. Um, or you can do as I've done before and you just stop at the store, grab a rotisserie chicken and serve that alongside with this dish. So it's it's a really easy go-to meal for every single camping trip um, that it's definitely worth checking out at campingfoodrecipes.com. And I don't want you to forget that you can submit your own favorite camping recipes through our website. Uh, we'd really love to see, um, you know, your family favorites, your camping favorites, your go-to make-ahead Um, freezer meals, anything that you like to take um, with you camping. Um, Go ahead and share that on our site, and we get to share it with our community so everyone can enjoy it too. So that's it for me this week, but I will see you next week with our favorite camping food recipe of the week
0: well that fresh summer squash casserole sounds like something that would be worth trying out
1: and you know as you travel around in your rv you're you're also visiting a lot of local communities and buying fresh produce and it's uh it's great you can see so many cool recipes just go check it out at uh, campingfoodrecipes.com
0: and don't forget to send us your Favorite recipes.
1: Yep, there's a link right at uh, the website, and uh, we love to, to get your recipes too. All right, when we come back, it's the RV interview of the week. It's a fascinating discussion we had with a veteran uh, uh, National Park Service uh, law enforcement officer who's been on many lost hiker uh, searches. You'd be surprised how many people get lost in national parks, and uh, you're going to find this interview very interesting coming up right after this. The one thing that can ruin a perfect RV trip is a bad mattress. And believe us, we know, over the years, we've tried many and found them all wanting until now.
0: Now we sleep on the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Quite simply, it's the best we've ever slept on.
1: We chose a queen-sized Aurora Luxe medium-firm mattress that arrived tightly rolled in a box. All we had to do is put it on the bed, unroll it, and wait for it to recover from the compression. Then we put the sheets and the bed covers on, and we found we slept so well on it that we ordered another one for our home.
0: That's how comfortable it is. Our sleep is now so luxurious and deep that we can't imagine using a different mattress.
1: Shipping is free, and if you're disappointed with the current mattress in your RV, you owe it to yourselves to try the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Brooklyn Bedding sends out all of their RV mattresses from their own factory in Arizona. That means they're able to use premium materials at a reasonable price for you, with no middleman bringing up the cost.
0: And right now, if you visit rvmattress.com slash rv you'll get the maximum discount off your mattress with the promo code RV lifestyle. Again, use the promo code RV lifestyle for a big discount on your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding.
1: We're sure you'll be as thrilled with your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding as we are with ours. It really is the most comfortable mattress we've ever slept on. All right, welcome back. Time now for the RV Lifestyle RV Podcast interview of the week. And we got a good one this week.
0: And do you know, do you have any idea how many people go missing every year in the national parks? Make a guess, write it down, and then listen.
1: Yeah, our guest this week is Andrea Lankford. And Andrea is an author. She's a former law enforcement ranger with the National Park Service. And um, she is an expert in finding lost campers and hikers. Uh, She spent uh, 12 years uh, as a law enforcement ranger for the National Park Service. She led rescue missions everywhere, from Yosemite to Grand Canyon, searching for lost hikers, uh, flood victims, uh, downed aircraft, suicidal subjects, and more. She left the NPS a bit frustrated, among other things, with its bureaucracy, and she has since become a nurse and an author. And she's written two books. Uh, One of them was out a couple years ago called Ranger Confidential Living, Working, and Dying in National Parks. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. And her brand new book is coming out in just a a couple weeks. It's called The Trail of the Lost uh, The Relentless Search to Bring Home the Missing Hikers on the pacific crest trail it's a fascinating account and uh, she is our guest and uh, she's seen it all and has some great uh, insight into how easy it is to get lost how hard it is sometimes to find them and what to happen uh, what what you should do if it happens to you if a friend or you get lost well joining us now from california i believe is andrea is that where you are in california
4: Yeah, I'm in Northern California, about an hour and a half drive from Yosemite National Park.
1: Oh my gosh, Uh, what a beautiful place to be. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. And uh, this is certainly a a topic that I think uh, almost all of our audience is going to be interested in because we all like to camp. We all like to explore and to roam. Uh, Let let me just jump right in and start. Is there such a thing as um, a typical way that a hiker gets lost that you have found in your experience in national parks?
4: My first response to that is no, because I think every hiker is going to get lost. If you hike it enough times, there's going to be time. You're like, Oh, I think I missed the intersection. Right. You know, that happens to all of us. What gets unusual is which hikers don't get found. You know, when does that become where you're lost for five days instead of an hour?
1: Well, how, how do you find a lost person, a lost hiker, particularly when you're in a place like Yosemite or the Grand Canyon or our national parks, which can be so big, how, how do you, where do you even begin to start? What, what clues do you look for?
4: Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And as a park ranger, you know, I initiated a, a lot of searches. What happens typically? is somebody calls and says my buddy mike he was supposed to meet me for dinner he's not here and he was hiking in the grand canyon and we call that an overdue hiker and you know about 97 percent of those are solved within 24 hours you find that person alive usually but every once in a while you find their body so what happens is you need to investigate right away you start asking questions well does mike have any illnesses uh, was there a thunderstorm uh, you know, did he say for sure he'd be out at this time? Then you also do what's called a hasty search, and you send a helicopter or some ground pounders, we call them, searchers on the ground to run to where the most likely location this person would be. And they're just as you said, they're supposed to search for clues. Uh, so, so you got the hasty, you got the investigation, the other thing that the ranger has to do is what's called containment set up somebody at the trailhead, make sure that person doesn't walk out of the park or out of the trailhead or get in their car and drive off without you knowing. And that's all needs to be done all at once because a search is actually an emergency. Uh, you need to find that person quickly if they're in trouble.
1: Now, uh, you say that 97% are are found with, usually within a, uh, a 24-hour period of time. Uh, the, reversing that a bit, when should somebody report that somebody is missing? Uh, we had a group, for example, a few years ago that were, um, uh, were going to spend an overnight at uh, Smoky Mountain National Park. And they were going to stay in one of those cabins that uh, they were arranged for. And one of our hikers came back the next morning and said, hey, they weren't there. So, you know, our dilemma is, do we report that? And we did. And it turns out they, they were Okay. But I always felt, well, should we have reported it? When do you report that somebody is missing?
4: I would err on the side of sooner rather than later. Um, you, you. Well, I want to say you want to start the investigation stage immediately, and that is questioning, questioning what happened, why are they late. And this is when, when we go hiking, we should always tell people, look, if I'm not out by 3 p.m. on Sunday, there's a problem. Call for help. So if we do that ahead of time, that makes that takes that uh, angst away from the person who needs to report it. But if the person hasn't told you that, go ahead and start investigating, preserving evidence, and start calling agencies that is that has jurisdiction where that person was last seen and tell them that they need to initiate a missing persons case or, for, or a for those, response.
1: For those of us who do like to, to hike, um, what are some of the that you mentioned, always tell people, hey, this is the drop dead time that I need to, if you haven't heard from me, then something's wrong. Uh, that's a great thing for us all to remember. But what are some of the other things that we can do to minimize any problems should we get lost or should something happen on the trail? Uh, to, you know, to help us be found, what are some of the things that we should do?
4: You know, one thing with the new technology, we have these new GPS locator devices, and most of them have an emergency SOS button that you can touch. Some of them even have text abilities where you text through a satellite. And so even where there's cell service dead zones, you can still text for help or let somebody know you're running late, things like that. They they're, can be expensive, but they're lifesaver for sure. The other thing is if you're lost, what I'm noticing with the people that we can't find is we have trouble finding clues, Uh, you know, leave messages somehow. Uh, Leave a breadcrumb trail for the searchers to follow. Uh, And that could be maybe setting an arrow with your initials that shows where you're going uh, or writing a note, I'm headed toward water, uh, so that people know where to look for you. Because that's what often happens. Sometimes we don't even know where to start looking for the person.
1: And so you find something like that, and at least it gives you an idea. This is where they were. This is the direction they're going, and you can move. Even backing up ahead of that, what are some of the things that we could do to decrease the likelihood of us getting lost in the first place?
4: Yes, that's one thing is you want to have a map. If, you don't, if you're going to a new place that you don't know, you want to have a map and have studied the map and know how to read it. Uh, one thing, it, sometimes what happens to me is I just spontaneously want to go on a hike. I don't have a map. Go to the trailhead and see if there's a trail map there and take a picture of it with your phone. And so that way it's on your phone. If you lose your way while you're hiking, look on your phone. Um... Be careful at intersections. Here's something to do when you're hiking with someone. If you get to an intersection and you're ahead of them and they're slower than you, at every intersection, stop and wait for that person. Go, hey, okay, we're going this way. Because that's how people get separated as they, they get lost sometimes is there's a confusing intersection but the rest of the party went ahead and so they go down this other way They didn't, not knowing that everybody else went the other way. So always wait for your hiking buddies when you're at an intersection.
1: Is it I've heard it often said that if you drive to a a, a trailhead and you leave your vehicle there, put a note in it that says, Hey, uh gone off on this trail and expected to be back, you know, at four o'clock, something like that. Is that a good idea as well or
4: I do think that's a good idea. You do because cars get broken into at trailheads, you might want to be careful about where everybody could read that. But ah. you could also have that note where the rangers would find it if they had to get in your car. Uh, you know, texting a friend, that information is probably the best. And also, that person knows they're kind of responsible. Look, you're responsible for asking about me if I don't text you by 5 p.m. on Friday, um, well, you know, call the cops Let's uh, let's, like
1: let's touch base a little bit about, about you, Andrea. Uh, You were a ranger for a long time. And how did you become involved in so many of these search and rescue operations? And tell us about your book that's upcoming that's going to detail some of these experiences.
4: Yeah, I was a National Park Service ranger for 12 years. I started in 1987, and I worked at several national parks, including really big and busy ones like Grand Canyon and Yosemite. And law enforcement and search and rescue was... The primary job that I had was, uh, you know, responding to crises in a national park. And so these parks are busy enough that rangers see a, a lot of problems and respond to a lot of overdue hikers. So that was a common task for me. So when I was a ranger of the Grand Canyon, I had a missing hiker case and that I was in charge of the operation to find him and I couldn't find him. And it really bothered me. It just, I never really got over it. So fast forward, that was 1995. Fast forward 20 years later, and in 2015, a Pacific Crest Trail hiker named Chris Sylvia, who was 28, disappeared from the trail and was never found. And when I heard about that case, it reminded me so much of the case I uh, failed to solve at Grand Canyon, that I just got hooked. And I couldn't let it go. I just didn't seem right that he couldn't be found. His gear was on the trail. And so I called his family and asked for their blessing to do a pro bono investigation into his disappearance. And then what happened, I started to meet other people who were searching for other missing hikers that who had gone missing on the Pacific Crest trail. And we started to work together. And that is how the book was born. I just started documenting our experiences and eventually that became the book, Trail of the Lost.
1: How many people go missing and are never found out there? Uh, It seems like we hear about this fairly regularly.
4: Now, according to FBI statistics, about 600,000 people reported missing every year, and a vast majority of them are found. And most of those are from urban, suburban areas. We don't, the government is not doing a good job at tracking statistics on people who go missing from public lands, but a number that gets thrown out there a lot is there are 1,600 people who remain missing from federal public lands, uh, national parks, forest service. So we don't know as much about it as we should, but people, it you'll see on Facebook and the news, you hear about a hiker going missing, what, about once a week in the summer? Easily.
1: Yeah. Now- there's two cases that uh, you became personally involved with these in, and, as you say, obsessed with them. Uh, the one in Grand Canyon and the one on the Pacific Coast Trail. What happened to those people? Were they ever found? What did the, you learn?
4: The 28-year-old in the Grand Canyon, he was eventually found by accident. Uh, some park service maintenance people were working on a pipeline far back in the backcountry, and they found some human remains, and it ended up being this 28-year-old young man. It's did you ever unc- find out
1: what happened to him? It's what, unc- how he
4: did- yeah, it's unclear. It he either fell or it's possible he committed suicide. I believe he fell, um, but it's possible that you know he was despondent. Mm-hmm. The unfortunately, the hikers on the Pacific Crest Trail, I call them the PCT missing. There's three of them: Chris Sylvia, Chris Fowler, and David O'Sullivan. They remain missing at to date. And so people are still looking for them and still hoping for a lead.
1: Were these uh, separate cases or were they all together?
4: They were separate. Uh, Chris Sylvia went missing in February, 2015. Then Chris Fowler in October of 2016. Sylvia was in Southern California. Chris Fowler was in Washington state. Uh, and then David O'Sullivan went missing in April, 2017 also in Southern California. Are those cases connected? That's something I explore in the book. Um, Most likely not, but there are some odd things on the Pacific Crest Trail. There's dangerous people. I write about a kidnapper. Uh, There, there's a cult on the Pacific Crest Trail. So when you don't, when you don't find a body, it's very unsettling because you, you don't know what happened to them.
1: The ones who are found uh, dead, uh, or that end up never found—any d- idea—is there any common traits there? They—they they died from falls, uh, uh, they uh, broke a foot, and and died of malnourishment, or uh, what kind of causes have have you seen that are common to those who never return?
4: Yes, we'll we'll use the Pacific Crest Trail as an example. And of the uh, fatalities there, uh, let's see of today, uh, I believe it's 16, vast majority of those, it's a water by some form. They either got in a heavy, uh, fast flowing creek and were swept away or they slid off an icy slope. Um, So it usually has to do with water. Sometimes there's some heat stroke deaths. Uh, There was one high altitude pulmonary edema there's a, probably a hypothermia. They don't know for sure. There's two that were hit by a car, and one had a tree fall on him. So it runs the gamut, but it usually has to do with a raging river or an icy slope.
1: Hmm. Are most of these uh, campers alone, I would say take it then, these people who are camping alone? Is that a common trait?
4: Uh, usually, but they're, the two that were hit by a car, it was two, both yeah. hit by a car, both died. And hmm. so not always, but usually the person is alone.
1: Now, your new book is coming out, it's called Trail of the Lost, but it's the second book that you've written. You've also have a book uh, called Ranger Confidential, Living, Working and Dying in National Parks. What's that one about and, and where can people find that?
4: Uh, you can find that. Uh, Usually a lot of national parks sell it, Ranger Confidential. It's it's definitely online on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I wrote that book because I wanted people to know the reality of what a National Park Ranger faces in their job. And it's not all sunshine and butterflies, unfortunately. And so that's why I call it Ranger Confidential. It's just this is the true story behind the scenery.
1: So much of the job of a national park ranger has become law enforcement, hasn't it? You know, uh, as we see our whole culture and our society is, it's become a more um, aggressive uh, society, more dangerous. And these park rangers, they face a lot of danger out there as well, don't they?
4: Yeah, there, there was one year that the statistics showed that a park ranger was 12 times more likely to die on a job than an FBI agent. So the job is dangerous. And a park ranger wears many hats. Not only are they law enforcement, they're also a wildland firefighter, a structural structural firefighter, they do EMS. You know, I was a medic and they do search and rescue. Those are all dangerous things, right? So, and you have to switch hats sometimes, you know, in seconds, you're law enforcement, then you have to treat somebody who, you know, is hurt. So it's a lot on the shoulders of a park ranger.
1: Well, I thank you for sharing your expertise, and we look forward to uh, reading your book. And again, we'll put uh, links to all of it. The new one is coming out in August of 2023. Yes. Again, it's called Trail of the Lost, the Relentless Search to Bring Home the Missing Hikers of the Pacific Trest, Crest Trail. It's coming out, I believe, August 22nd, according to your yes. publisher. So. Uh, Andrea, thank you for sharing your expertise. And I hope that uh, uh, this will help a lot of those who are about ready to go off uh, walking and uh, realize that uh, you really don't know what you're going to meet out there on that trail. And uh, hopefully we've uh, we've given some people some good precautions to take.
4: Yes. Yeah, stay a- safe. Stay safe, you, everybody. Have a great
1: you, summer. You too. And best of luck with the new book. Thanks for being on the program.
0: You bet. Whoa, I think we need to get that
1: book, Mike. Yep, it's coming up uh, just uh, just in a short period again. Again, the, the title of her new book is Trail of the Lost, The Relentless Search uh, to Bring Home the Missing Hikers of the Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, we will put a link to that book and Andrea's uh, previous book uh, in the show notes for this episode at rvlifestyle.com. Just go to the podcast tab and you'll find the show notes all right when we come back we've got lots of rv news for this week when we're on a road trip we always seem to find a way to stop at a camping world center there are over 225 camping world locations across the country and there's always one close by when we need parts and accessories for our rv or just want to shop in fact uh, we have so much fun with uh, camping world and as we talk about it as one of our sponsors They have agreed to offer a 10% discount if you use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you buy $99 or more in merchandise. You'll find everything you want from outdoor furniture and appliances, the ones you see us use in our videos and we talk about here in the podcast. RV extras that include everything from camping chairs to fire pits, electrical accessories, must-have gadgets, check them all out. And again, don't forget, use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you visit CampingWorld.com. Welcome back. It's time now for the RV News of the Week. Jennifer, uh, it's been a busy week. That
0: it has. Extreme weather conditions plagued much of the United States the 4th of July weekend. A dangerous heat wave the first of the season hit California, Nevada, and Arizona, leaving temperatures in the three digits in time for holiday celebrations. And heat was noted as a possible cause of death for an Indiana woman camping at Canyonland National Park here in the then in the midwest northeast and mid-atlantic campers continue to deal with thick hazy air making it hard to breathe when outside because of smoke from the canadian wildfires the air quality was so bad the centers for disease control and prevention had issued an air quality alert for nineteen states over the weekend with air in some places like Michigan, Chicago, parts of Wisconsin and New York at times being designated unhealthy to breathe.
1: Yeah, uh, it was amazing. In fact, Detroit was the worst city in terms of air quality in the world last week because of that smoke and those those fires. We had some rain earlier in the week, but those uh, fires are still burning and um, that smoke is expected to return. Um, Speaking of return, here's a story that we just keep hearing more and more about, about these Turons, particularly at Yellowstone National Park. And the latest is a woman who uh, intentionally left a trail at Yellowstone and decided she'd see if one of those hot springs was really hot. She put her her hand in, and yes, indeed, it was hot. She scalded it. We don't know what's going on this travel season, but... Literally, I think every week, we have been hearing news of a tourist doing something stupid and foolish. This woman, uh, can you imagine actually dipping your hand into a steaming hot spring? Uh, There's a video of it. She jumped back.
0: She had to go off the trail to
1: stick her hand in it. Yes. She yelled, it's hot. (laughs) And and the man beside her... uh, and she both got off the boardwalk. They walked to the edge of this hot spring. Not good. Kneel down, put her hand in it. The whole thing recorded by onlookers. And then, of course, it's spread over social media. They'll catch these tourons, tourist uh, morons. They'll catch her, and uh, they'll be fine. But, uh, my goodness, last year, do you remember? We reported about a shoe with a yes. partially disintegrated human foot being found in a hot spring. I'm not sure if they ever identified that, whoever that foot belonged to. But, I mean, these people, there's no protecting us, I guess, uh, from Turans. And they're certainly seeing their share of them at Yellowstone.
0: And there is a reason areas are fenced off. You can break through and, and fall and going, in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just totally crazy. Yeah.
1: Totally crazy.
0: Yeah. Okay, the next story, 17 people were sickened by an unknown mysterious gas at a campground in Colorado's San Juan National Forest last week. So the sickened campers were all within four campsites. They reported everything from wheezing to nausea to uh, sore throats and eye irritation. Eight of the 17 required on-site medical help, so it sounds pretty serious. An Army veteran who was there mm. described it as possible tear gas or a riot or smoke irritant used to uh, disperse rioters. But specialists came in and could not uh, find the chemical agent in the air.
1: Well, they're still looking. This happened, by the way, at the Vallecido Campground in Colorado. That's a tiny, tiny little campground. Like you said, I think four campsites. but uh, Yeah. Who knows what that was well,
0: uh well that does sound suspicious four campsites like yeah. all next to each some, other
1: something yeah
0: something we'll hits. follow
1: up on that as information yeah. becomes available last uh story from us uh, uh in the news of the week segment a bobcat attacked a man who was sleeping in a hammock at connecticut's selden neck state park last weekend we never have heard of bobcat attacks before but mm-hmm. this guy and two other adults who were with him ended up they killed the animal after the attack mm-hmm. Um, this camp is on an island near Lyme, Connecticut, and the man and the other adults were leading a, a youth group of a youth group on a camping trip. None of the kids were hurt, yeah. but all three of the uh, adults needed uh, to be treated at a hospital. Uh, the children were evacuated. The dead bobcat was taken to a lab, going to be tested for rabies. But um, you never know what will happen in the wild i guess right
0: well you never know if people were leaving food out or getting that cat so that it wasn't afraid of
1: people now we just gave you some of our favorite news out of the week but the rv industry has its own publication it's called rv business Uh, we are avid readers of it every day and uh, we're we're good friends with uh uh, rick kessler he's the executive editor of both uh, rv business and woodall's camping campground magazine he's a leading industry publications and we've asked rick if he would uh, would give us a, a test uh, every week uh, a sample of what all the top industry stories were and uh, rick has a great report as he starts so welcome to the podcast rick kessler from rv business and woodall's camping magazine
5: thanks mike and jen let's start with some numbers Each month, the RV Industry Association reports how many RVs were built by the OEMs and shipped to RV dealerships across North America. For May, that total was 30,919 RVs, which is a decrease of almost 39% compared to the 50,529 RVs from last May. It's a similar story when we're looking at the year-to-date figures, with RV shipments being down just about 50%. Officials note that both the monthly and year-to-date declines are not unexpected as the first half of last year were all record numbers. Also, the industry is currently trying to balance the supply versus demand existent in the marketplace today. In fact, many RV manufacturers are on an extended shutdown as dealers are sitting tight with the inventory they have on hand. Next up. The hot pace of RV dealership acquisitions is showing no signs of cooling down. First off, Florida-based Optimum RV said it was buying two St. Louis area dealerships from Legacy Legacy RV. The acquisitions bring Optimum RV's total locations to 10 in Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Texas. But in bigger news, Camping World, the nation's Largest dealership by far, with 198 locations, continued its rather impressive streak of acquisitions. In June alone, Camping World has bought 12 dealerships in seven states. At the same time, Camping World CEO Marcus Limonis announced the dealership was launching a new business model in which certain locations would be exclusive to a specific RV brand. Lamonas told us the reason behind this strategy is, number one, it allows Camping World to expand, and number two, it will better serve those RVers who own those particular brands. And finally, we also reported on a number of new RV parks and campgrounds currently in various stages of development, including projects in Arizona, British Columbia, Kentucky, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Texas, Washington, Wyoming, and a 365 site. Park near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Also, Yogi Bear's Jellystone Parks announced it had nine new parks in development. Campgrounds are still crowded, folks, but help is on the way. And that's the latest industry news from RV Business and Woodall's Campground Magazines. Mike and Jen, back to you. Well, Rick, we'll be back
1: again next week with more industry news, and we thank Rick. Uh, It's good to have you on the program, Rick. It's a good mm-hmm. guy, good guy. Uh, all right, uh, I want to talk about uh, some RV tips that will come in handy for you. And the first one uh, we're going to do when we come back from this little break uh, has to do with taking care of your RV awning. And uh, Brenda from Queen Bee RV will be here right after this. When we're asked what's the most important modification we made to our RV, it's an easy answer. Battle Batteries. Battle Batteries are quality, safe, reliable lithium batteries that allow us to stay out there off the grid longer. Lithium batteries charge faster, they charge fuller, they're longer lasting, they're maintenance free. And Battle Batteries are protected by a 10-year guarantee. Now, in our case, they just dropped into the existing AGM batteries that we have. And they'll probably be the same on your rig too. Battleborne battery experts can get those in your rig just like they did with ours. They can also match you up with the right cabling, the inverter, the charger, the solar controller, everything. Jennifer and I swear by our Battleborne batteries. They allow us to boondock off the grid. Check them out. Go to rvlifestyle.com/lithium. rvlifestyle.com/lithium. Welcome back. It's time now for the RV Tip of the Week from Certified RV Inspector Brenda of Queen Bee RV. Brenda always has such great information. Oh,
0: and your awnings. How many times have you had nightmares about having to put an awning away when it was still wet? And how long does it take to dry out? And how do you clean off some of the things that start growing on your awnings? All kinds of things.
1: Yep. so Brenda has a great report for us. Uh, Let's go to Brenda from Queen Bee RV.
6: So, awnings are a great way to take shelter from both sun and rain, no matter what time of year you're camping. Inspecting and maintaining them from season to season will extend their life and also keep them looking and smelling fresh. I've inspected tons of RVs that have stained, mildewed, or worn and torn awnings, some that are beyond repair. So, preventing them from getting to this place is really pretty simple. First, wash your awning once or twice a year with the recommended product in your owner's manual that's appropriate for this use. Be sure to allow time for the awning to dry completely before storing it, and the same goes after it rains or snows. If you have to retract the awning before it's dry, extend it again upon arrival to complete the drying process, which could take another 24 to 72 hours. A retracted awning can take weeks to dry if it were still wet or damp when you rolled it up. Inspect the awning fabric for stains, tears, loose threads, pinholes, or excessive wear. I like to watch the awning extending and retracting to make sure it's rolling evenly. And then once it's extended, I'll take a closer look at the fabric from the rooftop view and from the ground or on my ladder. Most small holes can be repaired with a vinyl patch kit. If you see deterioration or tears, try using some of the awning tape that you can find on the camping store websites or Amazon. This can extend the life and the use of the current awning without having to replace it immediately. You can avoid tears in the fabric or damage to the awning mechanical pieces when traveling by ensuring that the awning locking device is engaged prior to departure. Pay close attention to the weather forecast to avoid that whole drying process after a rain. Or if you leave the awning extended during a shower, you can lower one side of the awning to allow the rain to drain off instead of pooling on top, which could also cause damage to the fabric or the mechanical pieces should it become too heavy. And make note that heavy winds or unexpected wind gusts can wreak havoc on your awning. They can even rip the entire thing off the side of your RV. Ladies, are you a female RV traveler? Wanna learn more about safety, troubleshooting problems, and maintaining your own RV? Head to Queen Bee RV and click on events to view the locations of our Nationwide Women's RV Workshop Tour. We'll see you there. Now back to you, Mike and Jen. Well, thank you, Brenda. And You're always interesting, and I can't wait
0: to see what next week's tips gonna be.
1: All right, it's time now for the RV app of the week. Brought to you uh, from the pages of newtraveltech.com. That is our sister blog that celebrates the many ways that uh, technology is enhancing the entire travel experience. And this week's app is uh, called AccuWeather. You may use it to find the weather as you travel around from uh, place to place in your RV. It's ranked consistently as one of the best weather apps has been for many years. Primarily because it's... Very user-friendly, and it has these uh, minute-cast forecasts that really let you look at a particular hour, um, almost minute-by-minute precipitation outlooks. But what we want to suggest it for this week, in light of these ongoing fires throughout Canada and the smoke and the poor air quality, is to use AccuWeather for its air quality information. Um, I mean, this is the worst it's ever been for much of the U.S. because of these wildfires in Canada. And the way our wind and weather patterns have shaped up this summer, uh, it's been just horrible out there.
0: And forest fires are a part of life, and uh, this app,
1: necessary. All the
0: train derailments and everything, I mean, it's been a lot of air problems. It's been
1: a lot of air problems, and this is a great app that tracks them, gives you a map. So as you travel from place to place, you can see it. Now, like all apps, the app is free, um, but it's ad-supported. And there's always a bunch of ads on those free apps. That's how they make their money. Uh, But you can get a premium version that removes the ads. Uh, Frankly, we use the free version and and are are very happy with it. Uh, So uh, try it out and, and check it yourself. But particularly during this summer where air quality has become such an issue, you want to check it out and see it all right let's get to the rv questions of the week as the podcast uh, begins to wind down a little bit and this is a question that we have an answer for from somebody else because we got a um uh, one of our followers uh, patrick roars from scottsdale arizona sent this in to us and we've had this question in various forms for a, a long time it has to do with how challenging it is to make a a bed in an rv these mattresses
0: oh it is challenging
1: it's a wrestling match
0: oh it really is we made a video testing out regular sheets and uh, (laughs) different ways to make your bed Betty's. This is really are these sleeping bed? I was working up a sweat. You
1: know, yeah, <laughs> it's we were doing, very
0: very hard.
1: We were showing, I think, three different types of bedding, and we had to keep making this bed, and it was it was like crazy.
0: <laughs> we you were filming, I was uh-huh. crawling around on uh-huh. my hands and knees. Yeah,
1: and... <laughs> it was. You did a good job too. Yes. Um, well, Patrick has come up with an ingenious uh, system, a uh, hack as he calls it, to making an RV bed. And uh, he sent us a video of him doing it. Those of you who are listening to the audio version, you'll kind of pick it up from there. But uh, we urge you to go back and look at the, uh, our, our video version found on our uh, RV Lifestyle YouTube channel. Uh, you'll see it there. But uh, I'm really excited to show you Patrick's RV Bed Hack.
7: My name is Patrick. And for the past three years, my wife and I have taken up RVing, courtesy of a lot of people who have put the good, bad, and ugly on YouTube and the hacks that make them work. I want to show you a hack that I came up with that's been on my mind for some time to get this bed to move. This is a king-size bed. It's eight inches thick. It's a new one, so it's a heavy foam, and it is extremely difficult to move until now. Here's the hack. By grabbing onto this bed, I can move it back very simply just by rolling it down. I can reach the back side of the bed to make it, when I'm done, with one simple gesture, I can put it back to where it was. The way I've done that is to pick up three pieces of PVC pipe. They're two inches in diameter, and I've placed them under the mattress. It works very slick, and when you sit down on it, it isn't going to move. And we spent a few nights on this, so we know that you aren't going to be able to feel the pipe. Anyway, that's the hack, and I hope it works for you.
1: what do you think that makes a lot of sense it sure does yeah it just he he makes it look so easy you just kind of roll the bed back then you can get all the sheets around it and push it back so uh thank you patrick for sending that and we invite anybody who's got an rv happy hack you want to share to uh, put a video like patrick did and send it to us our address is mike and jen at rvlifestyle.com we love getting your questions and we love getting your contributions too so uh, reach out to us that's it for this weekend i hope you're traveling someplace fun be safe out there everybody happy trails